Okay, Acts 12, 1 through 5. Tim just read for us. Um, before we get into that, there, there's a, if you haven't noticed, right outside uh, in the lobby, there's a resource wall, a little bookshelf there with some selected titles that we like to offer to you. It's currently out of stock, um, but, but one of the books we have on there is The Cost of Discipleship. I meant to put it in your listening guide and I forgot, but you can write it down, Cost of Discipleship. It'd be harder to write the guy's name down. It was written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But if you look up Cost of Discipleship, it'll come up on the internet. It was written in 1937, and Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and professor. Uh, he, um, he has a fascinating story. Hitler and, his, uh, and the Nazis had twisted the teachings of the, natural, uh, the National Church of Germany uh, to, to kind of defend or to argue for what they were doing to the Jews and the others. And Bonhoeffer was an early and outspoken opponent of that, speaking against uh, uh, what, what Hitler was trying to do with that there and saying, this is not the way of Christ, and this is not the way of the Bible. Uh, Bonhoeffer was ultimately arrested and put in a concentration camp for that opposition, and he was hanged at 39 years old, just days before the Allied troops showed up to liberate that camp. His last words were reportedly, this is the end for me, but it's the beginning of my life. And so he was martyred, and you might, I might use that word a couple more times this morning. Martyred means usually that you've been killed for your faith, or more specifically killed because you've refused to denounce your faith. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, uh, told the original 12 disciples that the world would hate them because of him. We will be hated because of Jesus, and hate drives people to do horrible things. Jesus was killed for what he was doing. As far as we know, all the apostles were martyred for what they were doing. Bonhoeffer killed for preaching Christ and standing against the darkness. And in between those first disciples to Bonhoeffer to now in 2023, people are facing the threat uh, threat of physical danger because of standing on Christ. It's a pretty gloomy introduction to the Sunday sermon. So why would we address it? Let's reorient real quick and give you a spoiler to the rest of the chapter, uh, chapter 12. Jesus wins. Okay, the first, the first five verses are dark and heavy. Jesus wins. I would imagine that Bonhoeffer being arrested and led to Flosenberg, the concentration camp, he knew why people were taken to the concentration camps. It was dark, and just before his death, he saw the lights, right? He was reminded not only of the end of chapter 12, but the whole thrust of the Bible is that darkness advances, but light ultimately wins. Amen? It is the entirety of the Christian message. Christ will return at the trumpet blast, and whatever else is happening, light will prevail for, the, for all of eternity. It should bring great hope and courage. But it would be uh, uh, unfair to suggest that in the meantime, that hope and courage will keep us from ever experiencing any darkness in life. You may be walking through it now. You may have experienced it in the past. But if you are living a, a, a biblically... Uh, charged and and obedient lifestyle to being a disciple and making disciples, Jesus promises that you will meet opposition and darkness. Let's break it down a bit, okay? We want to discover what to do about this. Is this passage suggesting that an obedient Christian should be seeking out martyrdom? Is that the only way to be considered a a faithful and obedient disciple? Uh, I don't think so. That's what happens here, but we want to take the broader principles out of it, and that is standing firm in opposition. So let's consider it in more detail. In verse 1, it says, about that time, 
Okay, a little Bible study technique about that time would suggest that it's around the same time as chapter 11. It's one big story. You've got to read all of it. Okay, in chapter 11, they're telling the story of uh, Paul and Barnabas discipling those individuals. And then in 12, at the same time that was happening in Antioch, over here, something heavy happened to James and Peter. Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to his church. A little... Uh, family tree lesson here. If you've read the Gospels or you're familiar with uh, the, the story of Jesus at all, you might think, oh, I know of that Herod. This is a different Herod. Okay, this Herod in chapter 12, his grandpa was the one who asked the, the wise men to come back and tell him where the baby Jesus had been born so he could try and kill him. That was Grandpa Herod. Then Grandpa Herod's son was the Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded. And then Grandpa Herod's son's nephew is the Herod that we see in chapter 12 here, who is killing James and persecuting the others. And it's quite an interesting family lineage and tradition of trying to stop Christianity by killing its leaders. So the first thing that seems apparent is that opposition just just changes forms. It rarely stops. It just changes forms. I would guess that when Grandpa Herod died, and then when Uncle Herod died, the disciples maybe probably thought, maybe we'll get a little breather. And then here comes Nephew Herod, keeping up the family tradition. The opposition to a life lived radically for Jesus rarely stops. And if it stops from one direction, it's just because it needs room to come from another. So it shouldn't surprise us if we experience those same things. What can we do with this uh, rather depressing thought? Uh, We should remind ourselves how to deal with it according to Scripture. Remind yourself that a life lived dedicated to Christ is one that is promised to have challenges and opposition. Because of the times we live in, right here, right now, 2023, be it maybe in this county, but just in America in general, we historically live in the safest place in the safest time ever to be a Christian. We are facing a lot of oppositions, a lot of ridicule, the whatever. There's a lot. It's not that it's easy. It's just very, very safe from a physical standpoint. It's just undeniable. And so I think to some degree, some of the comfort that comes from that uh, will lead us to believe that sometimes if we're receiving opposition, that we're doing something wrong, right? Because we're so, especially in the Bible Belt, we're so used to it being the dominant aspect of the culture. Even if someone is not uh, maybe an active churchgoer, there's still some level of respect that comes with the, the, the church life here. So when we meet opposition, we seem to be surprised by it. It's, if anything, should be the lack of opposition that should concern us. Because all through Scripture, Jesus says, they will hate you because of me. If you're taking this seriously, they will hate you. John 16, says, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. But take heart, for I've overcome the world. Of course, we want to use good common and biblical sense when applying this. If I go out to Silo Square with a megaphone, screaming at people that, that they're going to hell and they should repent, I might meet some opposition because I'm just being a jerk, okay? We need to use good biblical common sense between what kind of opposition. Are we deserving? Or are we bringing on the opposition because of something unbiblical? But if I'm living in a way that is committed to the scriptural understanding of discipling, proclaiming Christ, evangelizing, living a holy lifestyle, living, uh, giving my time and my resources in a radical way. Opposition to those things is what Jesus has promised us. If we are living according to scripture, opposition to those things is what has been promised, and those are the things in which we are to take heart against. It seems to be what James understood here, and he lived it out. 
The apostles had already been, if you remember, reading through Acts, they had been arrested for preaching before. This was nothing new. And I have to wonder, we don't necessarily have the context, if they didn't have a warning, like, hey, if I catch you again, I'm going to kill you. But James was so on fire for Christ that he would not be silenced, and he lost his life for it. He was undeterred because he was on fire for Christ. And opposition was expected, but he pressed on. Let's look further. Verses 3 and 4, Herod saw that killing James... Please the Jews, so he imprisoned Peter during the Passover season. The second point in your listening guide is that opposition will often seek to silence and to stop. Okay, it's another just good diagnostic question to consider. Am I being opposed for being a disciple? Are they trying to silence and stop what we are talking about? Again, here's some opportunity for nuance. Opposition that seeks to converse and to sharpen. Right? may not be the stuff we want to oppose. Sometimes if I have a bad idea and I bring it to Robert, he may oppose me. It's not, he's, trying, he's not trying to silence me. He wants to have a conversation about getting to a better idea. Or maybe it's to, to discipline me towards, hey, that was not Christ-like, but this is. Try this one. Opposition is not always trying to hold you down. But a good indicator of whether or not it is, is are they just trying to shut you up? Or are they trying to engage you in a conversation and discipleship? There's the right and the wrong, but the wrong opposition or the opposition in response to living a radical life for Christ is that it will seek to silence and to stop you. It's also a good place to clarify that, that we're not talking about opposition um, in, in all directions. Like for here, here's an example. I'm not making light of this, but here's an example. We need to be careful not to put the same kind of thinking towards uh, the haters, you know what I mean? Like if you're trying to build an em- a business empire and you go to the bank and they deny your loan, it, I, I, it's probably unfair to be like, Jesus said this would happen, right? That's a different category. Not making light of that, okay? Because in, in, in many ways, we can live our lives radically through our businesses and you might meet opposition that way. But do you understand what I'm saying? It's not every time you meet opposition, it's not somebody trying to hold you down, Sometimes in life, we just have a, something that doesn't go right. But here we're talking about the opposition, the darkness, the work of Satan and sin in the world that comes against us trying to live radically for Christ. So with that in mind, let's, um, let's return. Opposition will seek to silence and stop. And that is what James and Peter experienced here. It's what all the apostles experienced, what Bonhoeffer and every other person in history, whether they were killed or not, every Christian in history that has faced opposition from darkness was facing the threat ultimately of being silenced and stopped. It is in the enemy's best interest to keep us quiet. Tony Merida is a pastor who wrote one of the books out here on the resource wall is a commentary on Acts. It's one that Robert and I use in part to prep for these sermons. We make it available to you. You can take it. It's just a great resource to read along with. But in the commentary for this passage, uh, he suggests that Herod was a political chameleon. He just did. Herod, it said, it said it pleased the Jews, so he kept doing it. Herod was not Jewish. He just did what worked for him at the time. He was served under the Roman emperor. At times, he would work against the Jews. At times, he worked with them. He was out for his own gain. Right. It should be no wonder that someone lost to the darkness is trying to stop and silence the lights. And such often is the case for opposition to the Christian message. He wasn't just trying to stop the apostles. He was trying to kill their leadership in a public way. The passage tells us it was during the Passover. The, the city would have been packed. It would have been a wonderful time to do something dramatic for everyone to hear it and to crush the morale of the Christian movement. And Herod tried to silence and stop it. And here we are 2,000 years later sitting in a Christian church because of the faithful witness of James and Peter. The light wins. 
The light wins. And again, nothing has changed. Bonhoeffer was killed because he was publicly denouncing evil actions. And so he was silenced and stopped. In modern America, the media outlets, sometimes certain political uh, situations, celebrities, corporations, or neighbors, it would seem that the opposition to, to Christianity is not often an invitation to converse, is it? And some of that may be our fault because we've just been blowhards. But when we are living correctly for Christ, if somebody's inviting us into a conversation, we should engage it. It's called evangelism. But we should not be surprised when they are opposing and trying to quiet and silence us because it's nothing new. And Jesus promised us it would happen. We were promised it would happen. Somehow we expect that because we live in America and we have this idea that it should be a religious place, that we should be able to speak loudly and proudly and easily. And Jesus said, no, they will hate you because of me. They will hate you. The, the current, perhaps, difficulty and, and being radically Christian right now is to be expected. But be encouraged. It's what Jesus said would happen, but he also said he would be with us and that the light ultimately wins. The, the difficulty now with, with, with living in our current context and the opposition we face is nothing in view of the light and the hope and the eternity that is to come. What Bonhoeffer understood, that right now this temporal life is done and my eternity begins with Christ. The light wins. The threat of opposition and the consequences of succumbing to it are real, Okay. And not every Christian is going to face physical danger for their faith, especially most of us in the room. I, I pray you don't. It's okay to pray that you don't, it's, and we should be praying for those who, who are facing that. But according to Scripture, and this may sound wild, but hear it out. According to Scripture, there's perhaps a greater threat, and that is where we are and the comfort and the expectation of acceptance and whatever it is that we ourselves allow us to become silent and stopped. Because we get apathetic. Because life is fairly easy here. And we read about these people who have laid down their lives and it seems radical to us. It should be a source of introspection. Why do I not feel the same level of dedication just to open my mouth to my neighbor? Because no one's laying down their physical life if they are not sold out for the things of Christ. So it makes me wonder when I clam up with my coworker if I'm as sold out as I think I am. It's a heavy room this morning. I didn't intend for this to happen. It's just what, what the text seemed to have done. It's not to beat us up. It's just for introspection. In Matthew 10, 32 through 33, Jesus says, If you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before our Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. It would be fair to paraphrase that as, If you are silent, I will be silent. We need to be bold here. We need to be spurred on by James and Peter to be sold out. And if we're not sold out, pray to be such. But engage yourself in discipleship here. I, I, it is not, even as a pastor, it is not every day that I wake up on fire for Jesus. And that's my own sin and my own junk in the way. But the, the, sea, the days, seasons, months, whatever, where I am most sold out for Christ is when I am most involved with my church family because Christ calls us to discipleship. It says, do not neglect to meet together. Why? Because we can spur each other on to good works. If I'm isolating myself and I'm already prone to be silenced and quiet, it's going to happen. But what can happen here is the apostles spending time together, they emboldened each other to go to their deaths for the cause of Christ. And we can do 
can do that too here in the face of opposition. Again, thankfully, we live in a, in a place in the world, in a time in the world where we are quite physically safe. But I want to be so sold out that I can't stop talking about Jesus to the people around me. And when I, when I face opposition, it, it, I, I know it's coming, and I'm, I'm undeterred, and I'm standing firm, and, and I remember the words of Christ, take heart, for I've overcome the world, and the light ultimately wins. That's the hope. It's the beauty of this passage. I don't want to communicate some, um, I think it's unfair uh, to say there's people dying in the world and you can't evangelize to your neighbor. It's just maybe a false uh, uh, dichotomy there. But it, it should bring us encouragement. There are people in the world who are, who are so sold out, who believe so much in the hope of Christ that they will leave the comfort of their homes and go put their lives in physical danger. Just be encouraged by that level of boldness and, and seek to find some of it. Again, we're not asking, and it would be unfair to say, we should all just go to the front lines like that. And maybe you will be lifted up and raised up to do so, but ultimately what we're called for to here in, in chapter 12, 1 through 5, is to be expectant of opposition and to stand firm in the encouragement. And band, you can come back up. Verse 5 gives us a pretty good tip on how to work towards that goal, right? So Peter was kept in prison. Earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. We don't get details of what they prayed for. We have to use good biblical principles and make an educated guess. But I would, I would guess they prayed for deliverance. It's okay to pray for yourself and for others to not meet opposition. I don't think that's sinful. Uh, Jesus didn't say you should relish and look forward to the hard times that will come for following me. He just said they will come, but take heart, be encouraged. I bet you they prayed for Peter to be delivered, and spoiler alert, he was. <clears throat> I bet you they prayed for him to be bold, and I bet he was. We should be praying those same things for our brothers and sisters across the oceans who are living in the dangerous places, and for one another as brothers and sisters here that are meeting opposition in our workplace, in our family, in, in, in our social circles, in our neighborhood. We pray that that opposition would not deter us, and we should pray for ourselves to be bold, and to, to not be turned away, but to be expectant because Christ told us to be, that we will be opposed if we are living radically for Jesus. But ultimately, he wins, and he's taken us with him. He promised it would happen, but he told us to be encouraged because he has already won, and we can face that opposition knowing that we will too through him. We have his inheritance in mind. If you're in the room and you're, you're not a believer, it's maybe a strange message to then on the back of it go, you want to be a part of this? But if you're in the room and you're not a believer and you're just wondering, like, why in the world would anyone sign up for this? Because we, we know. For those in the room who have received Jesus, we know Right, the hope that comes with Christ crucified and the forgiveness of my sins. I know who I was. To some degree, I know who I still am. And, and in the midst of that, I know how much Jesus loves me in spite of it. And in, in place of that, he asked me to follow him. It's not payment. He saved me either way. He said, I've saved you, but now in response and in love, pick up your cross and follow me. It will be difficult. You will meet opposition. But at the end of all days, you will receive forgiveness for your sins. 
And the darkness that seems to advance and creep into the corners of our lives has already been defeated and ultimately one day will be wiped away. That is the hope we have that would, that would spur us into the face of opposition. And we'd love to have that conversation with you. Uh, Robert will be around. I'm around. You can call us throughout the week, whatever it may be. For the believers in the room, I pray you're encouraged. And I pray that you're reminded that sometimes when we're biblically acting as uh, uh, Jesus followers, you'll meet opposition and it's okay. Because we're doing this together, but ultimately we're doing it with Christ. Be encouraged. Know that we're praying for you. You pray for us. We'll pray for each other, and we'll be reminded that, that although on occasion the darkness advances and heavy things happen, that at the end, Jesus wins. Jesus has won, and Jesus wins. It's our great source of hope. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Um, we would pray that opposition would be few and far between, because it's, it's not fun, but we're so thankful um, that you knew that you experienced it, and that you say that you will walk with us. Um, and we also have the promise that while uh, the enemy may win little, little battles here and there, uh, that we have the end in sight, that he's already defeated. These are any, any opposition that, that Satan could muster and throw at us are just death throws. He's just squirming on the ground because you have won. You're seated at the right hand of the Father in victory, and we're just waiting for the day of glory, for you to come back at the sound of trumpets. And in the meantime, help us to be bold and courageous in the face of that opposition. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.